Um, so I think until Francis is out, Cardinal George is out. He's called him Francis. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure old Frank is out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he's a listener. Um, so I'm gonna have to edit that one. Yeah. Yeah. Just bleep it. (laughs) (laughs) Until beep is out. (laughs) What could he have said? (laughs) Is he slurring me? Like Cardinal George listens to this podcast. (laughs) I wouldn't put it past him. I wouldn't put it past him. That's a good point. He's very well read. He is very well listened as well. Mm-hmm. He listens to a lot of podcasts. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's mere conjecture. We can't neither <laughs> confirm nor deny that he's ever heard a podcast. Although he's on Father Barron's homily podcast. Oh, is he? Time, yeah, he, did, he does the what Father DeGaulle does for us. He does the little intro. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a little bit more uh, less tongue-in-cheek than ours is. What? Ours is straight up, dude. <laughs> yeah. We keeps it reals. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. I had the dopest thing happen last week. Um, so I did this wedding. I did my first wedding at my home parish. Um, it wasn't my first wedding that I've been to as a priest, but it was the first one I actually celebrated, I actually married the people. And it was a couple, like the girl I knew from grade school, like we went to, I think, middle school on together. And we'd even been in CCD together. I think we got First Communion and stuff together. But hadn't really talked to her in years, but ran into her at the high school reunion. And she was like, hey, you're going to be a priest? When are you going to be a priest? And I told her May. And she's like, oh, I'm getting married in September. Can you do our wedding? And I was like, sure. Cool. Uh, so I did that. I was a little nervous, honestly, because, um, you know, it's people that know of you is like, you know, a good number of the guests at the, at the wedding were people who would have known me or at least known about me from high school. I went to a huge high school, so it's not like you knew intimately everyone you went to high school with, but you at least would recognize, like I went to high school with that guy who's the priest here. So a little nervous there, but, um, it wasn't a mass or anything like that. So it's super simple ceremony and which makes the homily kind of even more central, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I preached on just like what authentic love is, what love is as a choice, not just a feeling. And I said, that's why we do it in church, because that's the kind of love that God is. That's the way God loves. And he blesses this love that, he, that he's, he's planted in your hearts and now drawn you here um, to make this commitment. Because you're getting in line with the, the love which is behind everything in the universe. Um, the love that created you and that sustains you is this kind of self-gift. And so the more you do that, the more you will become yourself. Anyways, it was, I mean, pretty standard homiletic stuff. But um, I got a good amount of compliments. You know, oh, nice job. Good, good job for your first marriage or first wedding. But I got an email like a week later from a girl uh, who I also went to high school with saying that she wanted to meet with me, that she'd been moved by the homily and wanted to 
<clears throat> grab, grab coffee or something like that. So I just had this feeling like it's one of those drop everything and do this. Um, anyways, had this, had coffee with her last Tuesday and we just sat at the coffee shop and she wanted to know my story basically. Like, how did you become a priest? Um, is this someone that you knew when you were in high school? I knew her from grade school. Okay. Like elementary school. Okay. And, uh. But you weren't really tight with her in high school. No, I never really tight with her, but, uh, you know, recognized her right away when I saw her and stuff like that. But. Uh, I doubt she listens to the podcast, but I do want to be kind of careful about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You never know. <clears throat> um, and I don't want to fit her into like like some kind of triumphalistic, like, oh, we're right and everybody recognizes it. Of course. You know, yeah, but yeah, yeah. like respect her own unique uh, personal journey or whatever. But something had sparked in her, like, either from looking at me and being like, why, why is this guy doing this? And he seems happy, but... She's like a journalist in New York and has this awesome job like where she gets to travel and stuff and write reviews of uh, restaurants and food and wine and stuff like that. Super talented. Um, was just like fascinated with my story. And it, and it was cool for me. What was great for me as a grace was like to be able to share everything that's that God has done in my life uh, to lead me to where I am today. But in like the rawest detail, I didn't feel like at all constrained by sort of like pious, um, like that I, I have in any way to like fit this into someone's already fixed view of how things work in the religious realm. I just was like totally honest. Um, and especially because we came from the same exact background growing up in the North Shore and same schools and everything like that, um, that it felt really cool and she... and we started like this email chain and I, I told her just about like the Augustinian view that the heart is restless until it rests in God, that God is, that God has planted desires in our hearts, um, so that we will seek him as our ultimate fulfillment, that, that we have surface desires in the outside of our hearts for all sorts of things that are, that are good food and drink and sex and sleep and like things that we need but won't ultimately fulfill us. Like the ultimate fulfillment is to love and be loved. And, and so he leads us on, not by pushing us or coercing us, but attracting us to our ultimate good. But we can turn away from it and fall for like counterfeit versions of it. And that's when we feel like an anxiousness or restlessness where God's poking at us to turn back and find him. Um, and it, I could just tell as I'm like set, explaining these things, which have been sort of my bread and butter for the last six years of seminary, mm-hmm. who's just, like, striking this chord with her. And uh, she sent me an email later. She's like, could you just, like, tell me some of those books or verses that you were talking about? And I, I basically just laid it out. Is this from Was she talking about her, like, <laughs> I sp- confessions or things like that? Yeah, stuff okay. like that. I okay. explained some scripture stuff, like, but, yeah, mainly, right, right, mainly right. just Augustine and St. Ignatius and Christian anthropology. Yeah. And uh, she's like, oh, thank you so much. That's exactly what I was looking for. And um, you've given me a lot to think about and ponder and everything like that. But um, what struck me so much about the encounter wasn't so much that, oh, I've changed someone's mind or I've, you know, won a convert or anything like that. Because I, I haven't, you know, necessarily. But um, it was such a delight for me to give what I had, you know, and that someone would want it and 
this has been my experience of priesthood in general, is that I feel like I have these things that God has given me to give away. And they're like no good to me to just hang on to, like God's mercy or God's love or the fulfillment that I've received, the happiness I've received in, in finding my vocation. Like it's all just meant to be given away, given away. And until there's someone who wants it, you're just sort of like in this state of tension, like, ah, and yeah. just this two hour, three hour conversation um, made me feel awesome. And she said the same thing when she emailed me. She's like, I felt totally uplifted after our conversation and like I was in the best mood and everything like that. And that this is like what humanity, this is what human conversation and communication is supposed to be. Like two people um, sharing with each other uh, in friendship and, and love, like what God has done for them or what God is doing in them. And it's just one of those, like, felt like one of the most important conversations I've had all year. You know what I mean? Um, that's awesome. Yeah. I know the, uh, one of my last days at IPF, it was the evening and I was just walking around Creighton's campus and there was this old, um, older priest there that had helped out all summer as a spiritual director. And I'd gotten to know him a little bit, but he was just a really solid, like really holy, low key guy. And, uh, so I started chatting with him and he said something. It was one of the things that probably stuck with me most from IPF and, you know, it was like, one of the last days, so you're in this very, like, reminiscent, like, all these graces mood and stuff like that. So I asked him, it's like, you know, what has been the best part of priesthood for you? And this guy's been a priest, I think, well over 50 years at this point. And he was like, well, he's like, all the people that I became a priest for have faces now. Mm -hmm. So he's like, when I was in seminary, it was all, you know, I felt the call very, very strongly and very clearly. And it wasn't that, like, I didn't trust God that I was supposed to be a priest, but he's like, you know, looking back after 55 years of priesthood, I have, like, I can see, I don't think you worded it like this, but pretty much my family. Like, that's mm -hmm. who, that's who I became a, a priest for, like, specific people in specific circumstances, not for some, like, you know, ideology or um, abstract, abstract notion. So it's cool even to think, like, you know, who knows, 50 years from now, like, you could go back to that conversation or who knows what impact that's going to have on our life. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's a, you know, very tangible way, very tangible grace, I yeah. guess. And that's the point he was getting at. You know, he told some cool stories of just, like, really powerful confessions or, you know, people that he got to kind of walk through some really difficult times, even through the course of years, you mm -hmm. know, and see them kind of come out of some pretty dark periods in their life. Um, in that role of a priest, so that's an awesome story. Well, I know, I know that, um, <clears throat> like, what you're talking about is you know, a conversation. And what you're talking about is sharing, sharing Christianity to someone who doesn't have Christianity, who doesn't, hasn't received the gift of faith that God wants to give them yet. And I know that, I mean, what we do is we get around and we talk about stories of Christianity directly impacting some experience that we have, some relationship that we have. And so it's certainly incredibly powerful coming from a priest. Mm -hmm. um, and I, there's obviously uh, extraordinary gifts that are given in terms of preaching and sacraments. You know, the prayer life should be, um, you know, kind of amplified uh, via the grace that God gives you. But 
this is an encounter that anybody we have these as seminarians yeah like this is this is not just a call for a priest to do this no, or a right. religious person to do this yeah, yeah now you're i think the witness that we give as a with a caller mm-hmm. and the youth you're you know the the age that you're out there uh you know yeah, I'm 29 years offering old. Offering the mass. Who's, who's, like, what business do I have? Right. It talking about sense. marriage to all these people. There's people in the crowd that have been married for, like, 50 years. Right. right. And I'm 29 years old and not married, and I'm up there, you know. And so, it, in some respects, it looks ridiculous, but... You're the subject matter expert. Yeah. Because it's the realm of love. Exactly. It's, and this is where this is where Christ lived. This is where Christ reigns. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think in that, we do have... Uh, a very unique opportunity, a very unique advantage to share the faith and the outward sign of the caller and the witness that we give as an eschatological sign of a deeper heavenly reality. But the fact of the matter is anybody can do that. Yeah. Anybody can have a coffee and blow someone's brains out with the beauty of the gospel. And that's the call. That's a good metaphor. So it's like having the Bible and then hitting them like, this is the gospel. And brain matter. But it, But that's what... You know, you talk about a passionate parish. I this a conversation that I had with Kyle last night, like mm-hmm. stirred me, really caught me on fire a bit. Um, it's awesome that we have great priests and things like that. Great priests to share the gospel. That's there's that's kinda like the bridge. The priest mm-hmm. is the bridge from God to man. Okay? But it's not supposed to stop there. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be man to man and then man to man on forever to every single human being in the entire world. Yeah. And until you're out doing that mission, you're not tasting Christianity. Right. You're getting uh, bits and pieces of it at Mass, certainly the Eucharist, obviously, mm-hmm. the the climax of all of our Christian faith. But until you're going out and sharing in your your call to be a disciple, mm-hmm. you're not participating in the mission of God. Yeah. Like, you have to get in there and get at it. And I think when people do that, because um, what you did is the, one of the most basic principles of the gospel yeah. Share what you've been given. Right. And until you do that, you're not living Christianity. Anybody can do that. Or And it's not in a way of saying, like, um, you're not, not doing enough. Right. But you're you're missing, uh, like, what part of what the nature of it is, which is to be given away. That's, yeah. that's why it's such a distortion to privatize religion, mm-hmm. particularly Christianity, because the good once received is is no good to the receiver unless it's given away again like that's the nature of grace that it's free you you didn't do anything to to earn it but it's multiplied in you by giving it away and that that was what i experienced myself in giving it as much as i did or was able to articulate it um to this woman but uh i did experience like a multiplication of the grace that I had already received in even just telling my own story to someone who could benefit from it made me like appreciate more the, the graces that I'd received in my yeah. life. Um, but this, this goes to father Baron did a recent video on the parable of the talents, which I think father Schoenstein had preached on here. It sounded like about, um, I've seen it here. that, you know, like the, the parable, has the guy that receives five, he goes and makes five more. The guy that receives yeah, three, yeah. makes three more. And the guy that has one, buries it. Um, and the, the kind of disturbing line at the end is where Jesus says, to whom much is given, more will be given. And to whom, you know, whoever has little, even what he has will be taken away from him. Mm-hmm. And the meaning that he drew out of it 
it was interesting. If you look at the talent as the mercy of God, that this this the weight of the mercy of God that you've received, because the talent is this huge amount of money, like a gold brick. Um, that 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 weight of mercy has to be then given away to be multiplied, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you try to take it and hold on to it and preserve it for yourself, it does no good, you know, because that's not what mercy's for. And that's why, like the other parable, where the the servant owes like a trillion dollars to the master and he gets forgiven, but then he starts choking somebody who owes him a penny. That anyone that listens to that parable understands the contrast. Is like, what an idiot. He doesn't get it, you know? Like in this world, in this kingdom, that just doesn't work anymore. You can't be holding everybody accountable for every last penny when you've been forgiven everything. And so, like, there's people that what, what I think you're talking about, Mike, is like to get both feet in the kingdom rather than just one. Like, in, on Sunday for an hour, I received the gospel. But my other foot, the other however many hours a week, I'm in the workaday world of quid pro quo and um, tit for tat, you know, where like if you just shared like prodigally threw out the seed of the of the gospel. And that's why I like wearing the clerics, because no matter where you go, uh, it's the, you know, I went into Jimmy John's to get a sandwich the other day and I was wearing my clerics and this this girl Looked like he was 20 years old, was behind the cash register. I ordered the sandwich, and right, right as she was giving me my receipt, she, she got up the courage to be like, is that hard? <laughs> and I was like, is what? She's like, and she just pointed at her at her neck. I'm like, oh, being a priest? And she's like, yeah. It's like, eh, about like anything else. <laughs> and she's like, you're really brave. You know, and... I don't know how many people are thinking something like that or right, something negative right, or whatever that yeah. don't say anything, but, um, you know, not everybody has that ability to wear their religion on their sleeve, yeah, but right. I, for one, count it a good thing for me uh, to do that because it keeps me mindful of who I am wherever I go, mm-hmm. um, but it also stands as a witness to people that, like, here I am in your world, man, but I believe in something that transcends it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it. And I keep thinking of <coughs> the movie Calvary. We, oh man, I still haven't seen it. What, dude? Father Duran, he talked about it in his spoiler in our, alert in our moral theology class. No, 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 I won't spoil it at all. But essentially, everybody dies. <laughs> <laughs> um, Carnage. Yeah, destruction, more brain matter. <laughs> um, he talks about, and Father Baron, he said the same thing. But his parish is a nightmare. Yeah, it's just like. The guy in the movie? Yeah. Awful. Yeah. So the priest, the, it's all centered around the priest is the main character. And all of his parishioners are just raunchy, disgusting people. It's filthy. They just, they represent different sins, in okay. a sense, is I think how they did it. Yeah. But, yeah, but it comes off as filthy. Like really? It would just be... It would be a nightmare to be a, a, a pastor there. Yeah. yeah. And it's so you have this clear depiction of... Um, well, so the premise is... Ireland, very. This is a contemporary movie. Ireland is, you know, sinking in the wake of the sex abuse crisis out mm-hmm. there. Um, all hope is lost. Everyone is just living a selfish life, and you can see what these different, you know, characters who are representing these different sins. 
what their life looks like and what the community looks like sort of without God. But the priest represents the presence of God. Although he may not be having this massive impact on everyone's lives, um, there are you know, changes here and there, the characters develop and things like that. But the priest himself being there as a, is a sign, as a sign of hope for every single person that God hasn't left them. You know, like, how can, it's the famous question, how can evil like this occur? How can evil like this exist? Say, so, you know, you know, that's the, that's the, the money question that we need to answer. Right. But I know that God has sent this person here to stop it or sent this person here to bring hope where that darkness was. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an invasion of grace in this really sick, disgusting area. Mm-hmm. And that's what the priest represents. And think, I mean, obviously, it's not going to be like that everywhere that, that you go as a priest. But you're in, you're literally invading their world yeah. by being there in a collar. By yeah. being there, your grace has blown into their lives. And it's Normandy. And Yeah, and they never expected it. You're rolling up on the beach, dude. You're mm-hmm. just storming the beaches. You got machine guns out there. Grace. Brain matter. Dude, it's the army in there, man. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisque, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And down.